Police telephone, free for use of public. Advice and assistance obtainable immediately. Officers and cars respond to urgent calls. Pull to open. Pull to open. Pull to open. Pull to open. How many more of these are there? It couldn't be an infinite regression, could it? I hope not, because if it is, we'll never get out of it. Peoples of the universe, please attend carefully. The message that follows is vital to the future of you all. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who exactly as God intended in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we have been on a classic Doctor Who series kick. Uh, yeah. For some time, the just like the the TARDIS was was trapped in e space in uh, uh, in uh, the the uh, Tom Baker final the final serial which were uh, season which we're visiting again today. We have been trapped for for weeks, uh, if not months, uh, with our hiatus <laughs> in the classic series. We three episodes ago we were at the claws of Axos that that uh, that John Pertwee story with weird eye stalks and hippies oh you're jumping uh, right into previously previously there you go. Yeah. sorry yes. i didn't mean to interrupt uh trying to get the cue for the little whoosh, that I whoosh. Put in my... <laughs> uh yes then we then we went to the romans uh that that last well our last historical historical and then last week we were at the mark of the rani the colin breaker era pseudo historical and mm. we have been brought to a story that we have mentioned many times on the show that i have mentioned many times dear and dear to my heart we mentioned it last week it is logopolis mm, season 18 serial seven the final serial of that year Yes. Big year, big episode, big, big time for Pull to Open here. Guys, I am so excited to talk about Logopolis. Uh, I've probably been waiting 40 years <laughs> to <laughs> get out true. all my thoughts on this episode. Oh, my which God. Which certainly changed over the years. Um, I'm excited to get to it. Lots to talk about. Obviously, uh, it's a regeneration episode. It's got uh, the master. It's got radio telescopes and crazy Ooh. science and math. It's all in this one, guys. It's got so many companions. It's bursting with companions. That's right. Uh, there's clips. It's insane. It, it's yes. all in this. It's it's Doctor Who's first clip show. Uh, <laughs> it's very unusual in 1981. Uh, they could only That's afford right. two second clips at a time. Um, and and one so. of those clips may turn out to be particularly fortuitous for for things that we have to discuss in this episode of Pulver. oh my well we'll get to it we'll get to it but mm. first before we get to it guys we have to clear up a couple of things one uh we're in a new era of pull to open as you know we're uh, upgraded our whole youtube experience we're uploading season two we're also on spotify video podcast so we're super excited to get uh more get to you guys in more places and just have a better experience overall that is there are some growing pains i do realize we all realize the audio levels were a little off on the last upload hopefully they're better this time we're going to do our best you know chris has been running around grabbing you know <laughs> microphones out of dumpsters to make sure we can do this and you know i'm, I'm uh, you know kicking my way around uh making sure the edit is uh top notch which is harder than it looks especially when the internet keeps 
kicking one of us off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a pretty wild week uh, when I was in a UK hotel in the, the last uh, edition. Uh, you know, careful listeners may have heard the the phone that came ringing in the background, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a little known fact that was the hotel reception who had received a package for someone named Taylor, which was not me. Ah, well, I just thought it was like the pull to open actual uh, panel, the phone behind there that was ringing. It's the pull to open phone, guys. I know, I know. And then, and then we go straight to you know a story that that uses the pull to right. open phone. Uh, yeah. So wild, but yeah. So, so we had some audio issues. Yeah, we've had some technical yeah. difficulties. It's all yeah. good. We're going to get them fixed. It's going to be fine. It's going to get better and better every week. So, uh, don't worry about it. Um, and also I just had to talk a one more, a little more about the Mark of the Ronnie, because as mm. I was putting together the show notes for the upload, I can't believe I didn't see this earlier. Now, as everyone knows, the Mark of the Ronnie was serial three in season 22 of Doctor Who. The episode where we talked about the Mark of the Ronnie was actually... Season three, episode 22 for pull to open. <laughs> and it's like, that's why the randomizer took us there. I mean, it's yep. obvious in hindsight. It's so, so numerologically obvious that they are whispering it on street corners in Legopolis. <laughs> it's, if you listen very closely, you can, you can go season 22, serial three, season three, episode 22, just over and over. And that keeps the universe together. Little known fact. Could be, could be. Yep, that one. Just that—that's a—that's a delicate balance. That's, and speaking uh, of uh, keeping the universe together, there, mm. there is there is a problem in a, in our pull to open universe. There There's a entropy. discontinuity. Yes, I think somewhere in somewhere. in our world, we've and, sensed it. Uh, Something big, is wrong. I know it's actually going to generate a lot of controversy when we talk <laughs> about it. So, but we can't. So we're not going to talk about it until the very end. Yes. of this uh, podcast. And you'll, you'll see why. It's actually, there's a reason, not just because I want to tease everybody, but there's a reason because it affects something at the very end of this podcast. But uh, we will get to that. Stay and tuned for the to, controversy. Uh, not to tease anything further, but it's sort of the, the pull-to-open equivalent of a mysterious guy in a white costume is standing just off screen. <laughs> and a paper mache mask. Beckoning towards us. He'll, he'll have words with both of us uh, before the end of this very funereal episode of pull to open and, right. and things will change after that we're, forever we're off screen though <laughs> <laughs> not all a lot of talk words, off screen all words off screen yes exactly the watcher was not equity so yeah i uh, couldn't actually have a speaking role sad <laughs> um but anyway but first <laughs> before uh, we get to that before we get to all of that guys uh just a reminder uh reviews are something that we really like and something that really helps us and so if you haven't reviewed the podcast yet uh we would love it if you did i know a lot of you listen on spotify even spotify video podcasts and there really isn't an opportunity to review there but if you have access to an apple device you can go to apple Podcasts, check out the podcast there apple loves it when people review podcasts we'll actually elevate those podcasts so please do take a minute or two to uh, leave a review. It doesn't even have to be a long review. Go ahead and leave an emoji. Or you can just leave a rating. Uh, any of those are good. And the more you do that, the more we can reach more ears and the more we can do wonderful, wonderful podcasts week after week. Uh, so go ahead and do that. And for, for among the top 50, the first 50 people who do so, and uh, we're going to do an inventory soon and see how close we are, uh, you will get a prize. Yes. And we've been asking 
repeat questions. Uh, when I say we, I mean uh, one of our guests and myself have been asking Pete questions about what this mystery prize is. Yeah. That is, uh, we know it's a special Doctor Who item that's very hard to find online. Uh, it's a collectible of some sort, smaller than a bread box. It's uh, it is mineral, not animal or vegetable. Uh, it is mostly from New Who, but may reference something mm-hmm. from Classic Who. Uh, right. And we've narrowed it down to the Stephen Moffat era. All true. All good. All yes. True. And those are those are the facts as you know them. <laughs> and I think we're we're talking about Matt Smith era, right? Because we yeah, ish, yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of not it's not Scottish. Uh, I think we've established it's mostly not Scottish, or it straddles a Scottish doctor. Um, right. So we're talking mostly Matt Smith era. Um, so here's my question for this week: Is this something or someone? that would have been encountered by Amy Pond? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Was it encountered by her? That's what, taking encountered (laughs) fairly loosely, I guess, I would have to say yes. Yes, okay. All right, that's encountered loosely. So Pond encountered it loosely. I'm sure, yes. I mean, she must have. She must have. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course she did. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes. All yes. Right. yes. Yes, ish. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. All right. Well, that, that helps us narrow it down. Uh, yeah. If you have any ideas, uh, write in and uh, let us know what, what questions I should ask next time because I'm kind of stumped here, people. <laughs> um, it's, I think it's the classic series connection is, is kind of uh, messing me up here. Yeah. Uh, where could they write in, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there are many, many ways to find us. Um, we, uh, we're on all the socials That's and right. we have a new URL on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. And yep. Our URL on YouTube is youtube.com pull to open. So feel free to reach out to us there. Just go ahead and comment on a video. We see all the comments. Um, you could reach out to us on Twitter at pull to open 63, Instagram pull to open 63 or TikTok at pull to open. Um, speaking of YouTube, YouTube is going great. We have the new URL. We have our new opening. Uh, season two, uh, the first episode of our own season two, way back when we started the Random Era, Planet of Fire, that one's up now. We've got more of those coming soon. The King's Demons is next. Then there's Dark Water, Death in Heaven, and a whole bunch more. So those are going to be coming every Wednesday. Uh, so keep, keep looking for those and, uh, the new episodes, the ones we're doing now will keep posted on Saturdays. So you're getting double your money there on YouTube. That's pretty nice. Uh, we still got our plot summaries up there. They're conveniently in a playlist. And as, as we do the episodes, we didn't start the plot summaries, I think until like midway through season two or so. So once we reach there, the old ones that aren't on YouTube will start to appear on YouTube. So yay, lots of reasons to to keep coming back to YouTube. Um, And thanks to our new video era, as we said earlier, Spotify video playlist, that is another place you can watch slash listen to the podcast. And, um, you know, if you don't like giving the big Google all your data, it is there for you. So congratulations, Spotify. As a Spotify subscriber, I also noticed that it is, uh, you know, if, if you're watching YouTube and you're not subscribed to YouTube premium, it will it will stop if you're outside the app. 
with the Spotify video podcasts. You can listen to it. If you're not actually in the app, you can watch it. If you're in the app, like it, it gives you a, a wonderful range of, of options. So do check it out if you're on Spotify. Yeah, man. I got to say, Spotify does a good job. Not to you know get too much there. If you want to sponsor Spotify, go for it. But um, they, in other words, like it just appears if you're on an interface with video. Like there's not some complicated portal for Spotify, for video podcasts, right? Sure. Like it's just if there's video, it plays. If there isn't, it doesn't. And you don't even have to watch it if you don't want to. So I think that's just a really smart way to do it. They didn't overthink it. So way to go to Spotify. Yeah, nice job. Nice job. Uh, so it's almost time, speaking of the, the video summaries of each story, uh, I'm, I'm anti-procrastinating on this. Normally we try to spin this out <laughs> to avoid doing the TLDW. But before we get there, I think you wanted to say a little bit about the, the, the setup that you have behind you. I, yeah, sure. I can see uh, a TARDIS in the distance. I do, yeah. I'd love to move my chair a little bit more so people can check it out. Nice. All right, it might be. <laughs> if we're not watching on Spotify or YouTube, we, we have a little TARDIS diorama there. Yeah, let me move my microphone a bit so people can actually yeah. see. So, yeah, this is something that's funny. Like, if you're a subscriber to Doctor Who magazine, you might recognize it. So they actually had this in Doctor Who magazine, like the, the, the walls and the console and the right. rack and stuff. It was basically a thing you could put together, and I put it together. And actually, it was a super fun project because I got to do it with my daughter, who yeah. is nine years old, and she loves to do art, and she takes art classes with dioramas and stuff. And so she's like an expert at building these things. And so we made we made a floor, which was not provided. We cut cardboard for the walls so they were nice and solid, and we just glued it all together. And so it was fun. So I put in my Peter Davison yeah uh, of action figure which is in bad shape you can't tell here but it's, it's it fell off a shelf uh months ago and its leg is kind of broken no and uh yeah that's but it's he like managed to baker. drag himself back to the tardis which well, is it's good. funny it's like the tom baker death <laughs> to the peter <laughs> davison figure and i also got my you can see it's got my dvd of legopolis which i've had for yeah. a long time and i've got actually the what i actually watched it on which is the season seven slash season 18 season seven of Tom Baker, season 18 of the show, uh, Blu-rays. And yeah. that's, that's what I used to watch it and uh, check out the special features. So it's very, all there, very, guys. Very nice. Yeah, this is, this is such a, a TARDIS-heavy story, as we'll get into. I, yeah. I also have that's one of your my, favorites. Uh, TARDIS blanket oh, yeah. right behind oh, me. We have the pull-to-open window I'm now centering in my hand. Uh, entirely appropriate since this is, spoiler alert, the very first story that we've come across on pull to open that uses the words pull to open in the dialogue <laughs> as uttered by Tink and Jovanka. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll definitely be making use of that in the audio going forward. So yeah, they didn't actually say it in smile, right? Cause there was a lot of yeah. TARDIS references there and even to the panel, Correct. but that was more about your cop, you know, yep. your space police. Yep. Yep. As, as long time listeners know, it's always in the intros is uh, Matt Smith saying, pull to open from uh, the doctor's wife which is the mm -hmm. only instance i'd been able to find someone actually saying it in audio and uh, now we have two so i'm very excited the the audio opportunities going forward nice shall we go forward then chris Let's now that we have it. no other business that uh you know legends of the sea devils the most recent episode <laughs> has now been seen by both of us there's no question <laughs> about that, that is true. Uh, we can cut right to it my friend yeah. we can cut right to TLDW for Logopolis. Too long, didn't watch. Too long, Doctor Who. Uh, and 
we have uh, it's a classic series episode yeah. uh, uh, with four well, classic series story with four episodes. We allot to summarize the plot of a story. We allot thirty seconds per twenty-five minute episode. So you have a full two minutes to summarize the story of Legopolis. Are you ready, sir? I, I'm not because this is, you know, we always have rabbit holes that we fall down when we're doing TLDW and uh, Legopolis is pretty much nothing but rabbit holes. <laughs> it's like, it's less of a story and more of a series of uh, rabbit holes that you have to walk through and uh, could fall down at any point. So walk through to other universes sometimes. Yes, exactly. The, the rabbit holes drain off the uh, <laughs> entropy of the universe into other TLDWs. So it leaks out. But yeah, I think I'm ready. I think I'm confident. Right. I've been uh, the moment has been prepared for. I've been I've been working for 40 years towards this summary. So let's let's do it. All right. Well, don't let that entropy field catch up with you, and let's get this started. Okay, we're gonna do the official pull to open summary of Legopolis. Begins in three, two, one, go. So the Doctor and Adric are in the TARDIS, they're in the cloister, and uh, the Doctor's like, yeah, let's not go to Gallifrey, we can't explain the Romana thing, let's get the chameleon circuit fixed. So he does lots of measurements of what he thinks is a police box in the UK. Actually, it turns out to be the Master's TARDIS that has appeared around the police box, uh, which means that a policeman uh, and a, an Australian auntie uh, have been sucked in and uh, minimized by, by the Master. Uh, while the Doctor gets into this series of uh, ever-darkening TARDIS as he goes to the TARDIS, within the TARDIS, within the TARDIS, he tries to flush the Master's TARDIS out of his own TARDIS by dropping the uh, uh, the TARDIS in the Thames. He can't do it because he's actually landed above the Thames, but he has a word with the Watcher, this mysterious white figure, who helps him decide to go to Legopolis, which is a place in the universe actually keeping the universe together, uh, through pure mathematics that everyone's uttering on every street One corner. Minute. He tries to get the TARDIS fixed. It actually ends up shrinking the TARDIS, so he's tiny inside the TARDIS. Meanwhile, the master hops out and uh, tries to disrupt Legopolis, tries to figure out what's going on there. Nyssa has been brought there by the Watcher. Uh, Tegan's there, Adric's there. Um, the Doctor and the Master team up because the Master suddenly realizes, oh crap, I think I'm destroying the universe. Um uh, by by stopping the Legopolans talking, um, and uh, then they, they have to feed stuff through a computer. It's actually a replica of something called the Pharos Project in uh, Earth, and and uh, that that doesn't work. So they have to go there because the monitor of Legopolis disappears. They have to go there and feed it through uh, the giant radio telescope, broadcasts the universe. The Doctor drops off the telescope, uh, regenerates into Peter Davison with the help of the Watcher and the Master's evil plan to take over the universe by uh, threatening with entry. Uh, are doomed and uh, that's that's pretty much all of yeah. the time nicely done wow you even had a little extra time there filling in a little of the blanks once he, once he regenerated it's like okay so let's go back and talk about cvs um <laughs> that would have been a habit hole holy cow so anyway one second everyone while i explain cvs 20 minutes later <laughs> cheers Big holes in space that e-space came from. There, done. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's, it's, How, uh, it's tight enough. Tight enough yeah. if you want it tight. How yeah. did I do? Yeah. Was there anything major you think that, that isn't mentioned here? Uh, uh, that, you kind of skipped over the whole entropy field. Yes. Uh, 
that you know i think you mentioned it sort of threatens the universe but that it actually destroys giant chunks of it um was a you know oh yeah it's a <laughs> yeah. big deal <laughs> and by the way trucken has destroyed off screen you know yeah billions of people die but that's just sort of you know this is this is just a few years after star wars right, right. where uh, alderan was destroyed and then princess leia is just joking about luke skywalker's height as a stormtrooper the next time we see her so she's yeah. She's over the death of billions pretty instantly. Well, at least in that case, yeah. at least in that case, we had never seen Alderaan at the time anyway. Like mm. we didn't really know. We had no connection with it. It was just sort of a bunch of people, billions got murdered. Uh, whereas we, we've seen Trocken. Like yeah. we know the people there. It's, oh, okay. That's too bad. The doctor sort of saved stuff and the keeper and all that stuff was ongoing. It's, oh, no, that's meaningless now. They're all dead. But you know, Nessa, Nessa holds it together, looking at the monitor and watching uh, the TARDIS monitor and watching the the star system that she was born and disappear. She kind of just yeah, not not even a trembling lip from a sense. Well, it's funny we're kind of starting at the end, but yeah. um, I gotta say, like that that was a great first date for Adric and Nissa right up until that point. <laughs> that yeah. it's, like, it's kind of a downer when your girlfriend's whole entire civilization is destroyed right in front of you while you're on your date. If it's if like, indeed hmm. that that is a date, I mean, uh, it's oh, it, totally a date. Totally Adric, a date. And, Adric and Nissa, they're totally well, a thing. Come on. Yeah, well, okay, uh, and, and the watchers, <laughs> the watcher is like the chaperone, I guess. Yeah. You know well, that kind of yeah. Was, that was you not not to you know we'll get to the watcher, and again he's just off screen pointing at us, pointing at our codex. Something is very wrong here. Um, but <laughs> I had totally forgotten how much the watcher is in this. He's yeah, he's like, all over the place. Yeah, he flies and the hardest. He gets he talks to people. He obviously talks to the doctor. He talks to Adric, and you never see him talk. That was sort of my joke earlier. It's like yeah. you can only talk off screen, and you kind of wonder what the Watcher's voice is and what exactly he says. Like I, I, I got to say, I, I guess I would ask you: Do you think this is a good choice on Bidmead's part, uh, whether it's Bidmead or the director? But I guess he didn't write lines for him. In that. If if he wrote like I imagine if he wrote something for the Watcher, they would be along the lines of very like stilted language, like and it would yeah. just be something comical, you know? Yeah, he'd that, just be like yeah. totally esoteric statements and totally totally ominous in everything he said. No, I, I thought it was an excellent excellent choice by Bidmead to uh, to have the Watcher be silent. Um, mm. And this does sort of run into it. It, it. Part of the problem with Legopolis is I just have no chill where Legopolis is concerned. I cannot do an objective review. This was so important to me as a child, this mm -hmm. particular story. Um, and, and The Watcher is a big part of that. And I, I was reminded by the Doctor's conversation with The Watcher, which isn't it funny the way memory plays tricks on us? I'd always assumed that that happens just off the motorway. The first right. time you see... The doctor. It doesn't. And actually, the conversation takes place on the Albert Bridge right. across uh, the Thames. Uh, the second time we see that the watcher, he kind of beckons the doctor up. And and what I realized is what what the watcher reminds me of, and that that moment in particular is like you know when you're a kid and you know that the grown ups are having a discussion about right, something yeah. very important, but they're standing just a little bit off deliberately so that you can't hear like that's why i feel the watcher must have resonated with every child watching that 
right, right, right. watching the show. It's like something is being important is being discussed about the doctor's future, the show's future. And it's just, it's like the adults are having a conversation on, over the bridge over there. So I kind of felt for, for Adric there. Yeah, Adric yeah. And all of us. Um, and it kind of, I've forgotten that the watcher also talks to Adric, which I think kind of ruins it a little bit. It does a little bit, yeah, because then it's not this. It's also not done in this faraway location shot, which kind of somehow through just the style of it makes it a little more forgivable. Yeah. And it just sort of seems random that he's talking to Adric and not Nissa. I guess Adric's been traveling with the Doctor longer, but um, and someone's yeah. got to do the 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 TARDIS. Like he's oh, got, he, maybe, he's the one who brings it back in the universe. Maybe so. the Watcher the Watcher might just be an old school misogynist. He's like, I I would like to well, speak to the indeed. I'd like to speak to the man of the TARDIS. Oh, he's not available. I'll guess I'll take the boy. You're the man <laughs> of the TARDIS now. I'll take his ward. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, I gotta say, it, you're uh, you're dead on about you know the adults in the room, the kids off screen, and it might be part of the reason I I always kind of thought, you know, I know Adric was so, sort of thought of a little bit almost like wesley crusher in the original star trek mm. but i didn't i never minded adric i thought you know he was sure he was a little whiny sometimes but um i, I kind of liked him and tom baker together for some reason because it was just so different yeah from every other companion and it's it was a little more batman and robin and uh, it's batman and robin more. it's bet it would be batman and robin if batman did not hide his contempt for robin one bit mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the right. thing especially about you know uh, tom baker and matthew waterhouse right we, we covered this in state of decay right where we're like oh you know matthew Waterhouse, you do not help yourself by giving tom baker acting advice on day one uh and clearly they <laughs> they still have this very contentious relationship you know, a few stories later. Um, but Tom Baker was yeah. just an asshole to everyone. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, to start a little bit with the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, yeah I, apparently, I, I don't think it was directed at anyone or in specifically. Um, I, th- I feel like he probably got over the Matthew Watershouse stuff by this point, but he just hated everybody at this point. Like he kind of yeah. was... And it wasn't so much hating everybody, but he was just like, he knew he was leaving. This was the last episode. And everyone has said, you know, from Janet Fielding to John Nathan Turner to, to bid me, that there's just tension on the set. Like yeah. he was being difficult. He was overreacting to things constantly. And it was just, you know, it was a very tense shoot, which uh, does, some of that certainly does play out. And you can sort of see it in Tom Baker's performance because his yeah. habit, which um, he actually does quite a bit throughout his run just not so much tom baker has a habit of not looking at other actors he's yeah. performing with and in this episode he barely looks at anybody throughout um uh, even even sort of like uh, he certainly doesn't look at adric much at all in that no. first scene when they're in the cloisters but um he's if, pacing if you look, yeah. yeah yeah if you look at it throughout he barely looks at anybody and there's a scene, there's there's only one scene where I think it works, and this is kind of probably where I disagree with Chris Bidmead, because I, I saw an interview in the making of. He he thought the Doctor and the Master should look at each other at the end of episode three. There's the cliffhanger where they team up, mm, and mm-hmm. there's the handshake. I actually like it the way Tom Baker plays it here, because he I felt like he was so disgusted with himself yes. that he had to you know, ally himself with his murderer that he couldn't even look at him. Um, so if you read it that way, I think it works. 
It is definitely a happy accident of the miserable circumstances of screen and the, the effect that that produces on screen. Uh, I mean, it, one of the great things about Legopolis is kind of, it, it's a meditation on death yeah. and entropy and everything ending, which is like hugely big topics for a kid's show. Um, uh, but, but also that is made so perfect by the fact that Tom Baker's doctor is not, happy you might even say he doesn't want to go um yeah. <laughs> he's just like he sees the end he knows that it's coming especially the first time he sees the watch you know watching this if it's anything but for the first time that there's there's a change that comes over his demeanor like the cloister bell has rung um mm. just and the wonderful paddy kingsland soundtrack in the background all yeah. contributes to this atmosphere and the fact that tom baker is kind of exploding all over the place he does that kind of plosive thing where he's like you know someone yeah. will say a line of dialogue and you kind of get outraged outraged at them kind of furious at them for five seconds and it just it works so well for his doctor uh, but especially in the context of his doctor knowing that his time is up yeah there's there's a bunch of those moments i remember like just like when Tegan's appears in the console room for the first time, reveals that her this woman is Auntie Vanessa. She's like, well, "That's it. She's got to come with us." You know, like he, he's yeah. just you know, this is the thing Tom Baker was a master at of sort of going to ten and then back down to two, and and doing it in this sort of controlled way that would make you think he's like um, a, a funny guy, just a clown, and then suddenly he's got the gravitas of someone who who can who knows what's going on and can really do something about it. Although in here, obviously in this episode, the clown is barely seen at all. Like he, yeah. although it's, it is there. And I got to say, what a great choice by Baker that it literally is final scene when the, all, everyone cl- crowds around him. The first thing he does, he, he lets out a smile, a brief smile. And I, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the script that he just kind of grit. Like he looks up and he's kind of trying to put on a brave face. And that's it. so the fourth doctor, like, mm. Oh yes. Yeah, (laughs) it's the end, but the moment's been prepared for. Yeah, and and that's ironic because Baker hated the script. He hated the fact that he, you know, he wanted the Doctor to have a more heroic ending. Right. Uh, He refused to scream as he fell fell. from the radio Which I think think that's okay. (laughs) That's fair, that's fair. But also, like, he wasn't happy that his Doctor would be last seen in a prone position. Right. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know why he wasn't happy about that because it's, there's a kind, there's a nice circularity to that because of course that's how we first saw right. him in Robot in uh, Planet of the Spiders actually. It's almost uh, a wonder he isn't prone more often when he regenerates because yeah. usually you know you're you've been mortally wounded by something. Um, well, so... let's let's talk about regeneration because of it. course this is this is much on our minds given that we um, we've done the Tenth Planet, we've done Power mm-hmm. of the Daleks. So we saw the original regeneration, or as Doctor Who magazine used to call it, rejuvenation, um, mm-hmm. uh, from the, the very first time. What watching Legopolis made me realize is how few of what we would think of as traditional regenerations there are in right. the show. In fact, we don't really get one until Case of Androzani. Well, what would you think? Wouldn't you think third to fourth is like a traditional one? Yeah, but you've got the um, what's the name the the llama like the he who oh yeah is oh or whatever yeah so, I don't know Wonder yeah that. it's like you know I, I haven't actually watched Planet of Spiders yet I'm saving that one <laughs> that takes us there but like that's what you get in that re- right. regeneration scene uh, so you would be forgiven for thinking as a Doctor Who fan given that you know Patrick Troughton says that the the TARDIS was instrumental 
in, right. in creating him in Power of the Daleks. Uh, then obviously war games, the regeneration takes place off screen. It's forced by the Time Lords. Uh, we don't actually get to see it. Then there's the uh, the Planet of the Spiders uh, connection. Yeah. Then the Watcher is somehow involved in regenerations. Yeah, um, so let's talk about the Watcher and the regeneration yeah. of it. Like, what what is the Watcher? How come, and mostly, like, how come we've never seen him in any other regeneration? I mean, it's a great idea. And it is, like, because of how um, the other Time Lord regenerates in Planet of the Spiders, you can make the inference, oh, this is that, just yeah. sort of differently. Because in the Planet of the Spiders, there's this projection of his future self that then he regenerates into so this so, is that mm-hmm. in in the doctor doing that which is fine but it's also like it never happens again so what what yeah. is special about the fourth doctor in that he gets the watcher and no one else does i, I tell you what the, the biggest mystery mystery of all is how the hell does adric know that he's called the watcher or nissa knows that he's called the watcher well, <laughs> i think she, she's the one who says at the end the watcher was the doctor all along and... yeah it's kind of like she reads the credits, I guess. And, um, I guess you could just sort of say, well, I mean, they, he's this watching guy and they're just, you know, they're naming him in the way that newspapers name superheroes. Yeah. You know, you got to call it something. Like, it's you know, the Green Goblin, I guess. a very inaccurate name uh, because as we've established, <laughs> the Watcher, like, brings Nyssa from Traken, saves her life. Right. Somehow picks her out of the billions that are going to die. Uh, you know, he's, he's takes them out of time and space in the TARDIS. Uh, he's all over the place. He pilots the TARDIS. Like he's not just a watcher. He's a, he's a driver. Yeah. He's, he's the, you might even call him the pilot, uh, which is who Tegan, Tegan was looking to talk to the pilot. And, uh, you know, we're assuming not referencing the, uh, Bill Potts, uh, curtain raiser, uh, from the new series called the pilot. Yeah. yeah. So Chris Bidmead said a little bit about this in in talking about it. He said, like, well, for us sort of on the outside looking at a regeneration with our limited understanding of time, it looks like a continuous event. But yeah. because of the uh, it's a time lord, that regenerations can sometimes be temporal events too, right? So that sort of it, it almost begins before it even begins, if you sort of take my meaning. And yeah. The that sort of works, but again, it doesn't answer why it would happen here and not in other places. And all I can figure is that maybe it's when the future isn't certain, yes. and the regeneration is one of a pot many possible futures that you get these weird temporal waves emanating from it, and you're kind of not sure which reality you're in until yeah. you, you I- pass the event. I believe Bill Mead said that it was his original idea was that the universe was so out of alignment that it the universe itself forces this sort of echo of the Doctor back through time, right? In in order to to write itself, which is kind of this unusually non Bill Meadian uh, mystical view yeah. of, of time and space. There, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I like. I mean, you know, if you if you look at the Watcher versus the Valiard for mysterious future regenerations right. of the doctor like uh, uh, the watcher is much more deliberately mysterious mm-hmm. as the valiard is a bit kind of eh? how did that happen um yeah. but like the, the the watchers the further away from the camera the watcher is the better right it's whenever he's <laughs> up close you're like eh? you know looking a little too much like a like a clown 
Uh, yeah, in, a pasty in clown. Odd, pasty clown in that odd costume. It's actually why he doesn't speak any words. His mouth is so, uh, basically sewn shut there. Another um, thing that they gloss over, and it's blinking, you miss it, but Missa just arrives, the watcher gets her. How does he even do that? Yeah. Does he, like, because he didn't use the TARDIS, right? Because that it's there and they're measuring it. Uh, unless it or was completely off screen, which is possible. Yeah. Yeah. I guess maybe that's it. He just did a real quick jaunt in it right after they arrived and just came <laughs> back. And this is just what been wandering around. It's one of those, there's a lot of, uh, we've talked before on Paul to open about the dream logic of Doctor Who and Logopolis right. is a perfect example. There's so many things in this that do not make sense in right. any way other than if, if you see it as dream logic. Well, they don't, they don't make logical sense, but yeah. they work. This is the yeah. thing, right? Like a lot of this stuff, like we could pick at it and we do in this podcast, but it is like we're very aware when something works. Because I remember as a kid really, really liking this episode. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of it holds up because the concepts that Bidmead is pulling out, like just the, the idea of a block transfer computation that for pure mathematics, you can alter reality, mm. which is what? It's mind-blowing, makes no sense on some level, but it is like this crazy idea that like, okay, I'm going to go with it. And if you go with it, you know, you kind of, it sort of unlocks a universe of possibilities. Yeah. Uh, and you just start to wonder like, oh, wow, how could, what else could they do with this? And they do do more with it in, uh, in Castrovalva, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so the Watcher is wonderful dream logic. And I, I, I kind of prefer that he's not sort of being explained and maybe, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we can get into the territory later of, of uh, what we want our headcanon to be, but I love the idea that the curator at the end of his regeneration becomes the Watcher, goes back to warn himself and blend mm. with himself. That might be a good way for the curator's whole arc to end and maybe for him to be the final regeneration of the Doctor, to basically come back and merge with himself in his fourth right. or fifth incarnation. Um, so I like that. Uh, I got to say, my favorite dream logic, uh, rather nightmare logic moment of this episode, uh, it's not the Watcher, but it has to do with the TARDIS. It's the TARDISes within TARDISes. Right. Uh, and the fact they that every darker. time they get darker. Yeah. <gasps> oh my God, as a kid, that was literally one of, that was one of the scariest things I had seen on Doctor yeah. Who, bar none. And it's odd, isn't it? For for all the yeah. monsters, for all the Daleks, for all Davros, um, uh, it was it was this moment of just like you go into a room and it's the same as the last room, but it's darker and everything's getting more recursive. And it was it, it was the upside down forty years early, yeah, guess, like thirty five or so, given when Stranger Things first debuted. But um, yeah, because totally, it's like the, that. It's uh, <laughs> the, there is a moment of the Master's Tardis within Doctor's Tardis in is it the Time Monster? Yeah, they show the master starters in the Time Monster, and they look they look right. pretty identical, as I recall. I, I, I didn't know if there was like a TARDIS within a TARDIS sequence in that. Oh no, there was just I don't think so. No, this is that uh, it's been so long. I just remember Time Ram from from yeah. the Time Monster. No, this this uh, it's a, such a cool idea too. TARDIS within a TARDIS, and this Russian dolls, which you start to think you're thinking just like Adric. Is it is it infinite? Do they keep going? Like, how could there be three TARDISes? And I kind of like, you you start to wonder uh, how that works. And then, well, because the master keeps dematerializing, I think, and zipping around, like it sort of screws up all the dimensional stuff. I don't know. They never really fully explain it, but it's like 
you kind of go with it and it's cool. The one thing I will say that still kind of doesn't quite work and honestly didn't even work on first viewing is that how they get out of it. They yeah. just kind of like go through the third or fourth TARDIS uh, or police box and they just come outside. They and come out like, the back. Yeah. Yeah. And they come out the back. That's the other thing, um, which makes no sense. It's not even a door. And so it, you're just like, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess that was it. Like you kind of wanted them to be, need to do something there needed to be they should have done i mean bid me did great here but hmm. even dramatically i think that needed a one more barrier for them to get out of it for it to really work it did i i don't know it kind of worked for me as a kid because i think by that point you're so terrified of where this is going that the, the sudden sort of comedic release of oh and they're just at the back of the tardis is kind of <laughs> kind of necessary at that moment it's it's very much of a piece with the Oh, we're at the bottom of the Thames. What is on earth is going on? Why isn't the water pressure opening the door? Oh, oops, we're on a barge. You know, it's very, very similar to that reveal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm also of the fan. Let's more of a get on with it decision. Yeah. Like, let's not have to do too much here. So that's fine. Um, what did you think of the Thames moment? The the this is a fa famously Chris Bidmead is taking a lot of flack over this. We're going to flood the TARDIS. I mean, we've talked about it or mentioned it before about how is it like the doctor thought this was a good idea, but yes. when you watched it this time, um, did it work any better? What, what did you think? It did for me because um, I think, you know, my, my head kind of a lot of Legopolis now is that the doctor has just gone a bit round the twist. Right. At this point, he's perhaps been driven so mad by the news of his forthcoming regeneration uh, that he's just, he's, kind of raging and trying to get out of it in all sorts of weird ways yeah i get it it's, it's not quite madness but it is desperation and he's yeah. just like how do i get out of this or how do i deal with this and i'm going to do something totally crazy and unexpected so that's that's kind of how i justified it too yeah um what, what about romana's room because he also that's uh, something else he does he jettisons romana's room at, at one point near that which to me like it makes no the stated reason makes no sense it's a, it provides well, that actually I thought it was okay because uh, he had to, he, 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 the, the, there was dimensional issues mm -hmm. where they were because of all the, the, the TARDIS is overlapping and he couldn't just go. So he needed to jettison something to get more fuel. And I, th I, I think they didn't really play it this way that much, but the idea that he's jettisoning Romana's room, like mm. he's getting rid of baggage. For, yes. for Don Baker doctor, right? Like he could literally, he could jettison the swimming pool, right? Like, you know, like we <laughs> exactly. already know by this point that the TARDIS is pretty much infinite. There's, it's massive inside, but he chooses to jettison that room. Again, and, I, yeah. And I don't think, I think it's less about the, you know, it's clearly an emotional response to the loss of Romano, whose ghost sort of haunts this, this whole story. Yeah. Uh, he's still clearly not over her. Um, by the way, we we take a quick look into her room. I, I'd mm -hmm. completely forgotten about this. We see in Romana's room. Did you notice on her desk there is a little framed photo of K nine? Oh, I didn't see uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Did can you see that? Is it visible, or did you read I, that? <laughs> I, I I read that. I I've got to have to go back and look at the screenshot again. I mean, I, I caught her. I caught her outfit from I think the Leisure Hive yeah. when they were on the beach, and I think there's like one other. Um, so I, I got that. Um, well, but yeah, we'll, the, we'll have to zoom in and find out. Yeah. 
the um the companion question here is is an interesting one. So mm. you have Adric and Tegan and Nissa. They're all relatively new. Adric is still pretty new. He's only been around for like four or five stories at this point. Mm. And apparently behind the scenes, they had reached out to Elizabeth Sladen uh, and Louise Jameson to see if they would come back to sort of help ease into ease ease into this new era and sort of uh, say goodbye to Tom Baker. Both of them declined. Um, I don't know if it's ever been reported why, whether they were busy or if they just thought it was this doctor who was in the past for them or possibly they just, you know, didn't want to work with Tom Baker again. Who knew? Yeah. Um, maybe all of that uh was was sort of led to it simultaneously yeah uh, and by the way speaking of previous companions and and the shadow of romana overhang uh tom baker got married to to lala ward during production on legopolis oh wow and uh so that may have also kind of fed into his kind of unhappy mood because clearly that was an unhappy marriage from the very beginning Right. And he said, I mean, he's, he talks about that it was actually a happy year, but Mm. I could see it it being sort of a wanting to move on and it could be constantly reminded that you're still on this show and she isn't, I don't know, it's obviously very complex emotions. So like, I'm a bit forgiving on Tom Baker. Like there's no excuse to be a jerk to someone, but it is also like, well, uh, he was dealing with a lot, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, he had poor health that year, too. So there's there's all these yeah. things. He's probably getting, feels like he's being confronted with his own mortality to some extent. Mm. Um, a, lot, a lot going on. But anyway, on the really? companion question, so mm. what this leads to is the introduction of Tegan. Yep. Um, which I honestly think character-wise is one of the best introductions. It's almost like it's it's the archetype used going forward to introduce a new companion that you see. That, I mean, it's not like they didn't show uh these people being human before but there's such a a clear backstory and there's a you really get what this character is about like she's a brand new air stewardess obviously she likes to travel she's working class she has family you know she's very real right off the bat and so you know you see that resonate in rose you see that resonate in donna in the new series Mm. um you know they're kind of instantly likable for and relatable for these reasons um so so and it's yet a really there's, good still, for there's still sort of a, a shout out to uh kind of a classic who companion thing of thinking that the tardis is a an actual police box right which hadn't yeah. happened in doctor who since the 60s but did used to happen and that used to be the extent of a personal life they had so it was kind of nicely uh married to that um but yeah tegan was born partly because they were looking for some funding from the Australian broadcasting company, uh, mm. which want, was interested in baby co-producing. And John Nathan Turner being John Nathan Turner is like, I know what will encourage Australians <laughs> to invest in this show, an Australian. Um, <laughs> well, well, it's good because how many how many uh, alternate other accents have we really had on Doctor Who, right? Yeah. I mean, either uh, doctors or companions at this point. I mean, at this point, Australian's pretty exotic. It, it really is, yeah. And it, it, it's definitely a nice reward for Australia for being one of the uh, countries that, that has the kind of the largest subset of Doctor Who fandom in it outside the US and UK. Well, also, didn't some of the old episodes that were lost yeah. were recovered through Australian broadcasters? I, I don't know where each and every one was, but I do know they, they sawed them out. So thank yeah, you, Australia, yeah. for providing yeah. those, as well as uh, Janet Fielding, who I got to say, okay, I love Janet Fielding. I think Tegan is a great companion. I got to say, in her debut, although the character's written really well, 
you could see that she's kind of a naive actress and i'm sorry i don't mean to be a jerk i know everyone loves jenna fielding believe me i do too i don't mean but it is like it is one of the things that detracts a little bit from the first episode because while she she's memorable she's good lines she's clearly acting you know and it's you know i don't mean to sorry janet again love you i'm really looking forward to seeing you in the upcoming say, uh, centenary a, special but what uh, a coincidence that the randomizer has brought right? us here ahead of her appearing in a regeneration episode in the show itself again yeah yeah so I, I will just just to put the, the book in that i think mm. janet fielding if you watch her in her entire run of doctor who as i have probably several times you mm. really see her grow as an actress yeah. Yeah. and she struggles a little bit in her first full season with Peter Davison, but for the most part, she's good. And then from then on out, from Modern Undead or so, or when yeah. what did it start? So Ark of Infinity, that's the second season she's in. Um, uh, so Peter Davison's second season. She's she's great throughout, and like we'll get to Resurrection of the Daleks someday, but like yeah. I think her leaving scene is definitely like one of the most emotional. And definitely. It's, it's uh, a, a big part of it is her performance. So we'll she, she grows as an actress yeah, throughout. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm still a huge Tegan fan. It's just that you can sort of tell in her first episode, she's she's new at this. <laughs> I, I did not know. I did not know until we were researching this that uh, the, the origin story of the Tegan-Jovanka name, that it was supposed to be either Tegan or Jovanka, was hmm. uh, was what John Nathan Turner had suggested, and Chris Bidmead misread this as, "Oh, you want me to call her Tegan Jovanka? Great, sure." Uh, <laughs> which seems to be a classic old who kind of uh, game of telephone, as it were. Yeah, uh, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I just love that. But yeah, she would not be with us, uh, but for the fact that uh, you know we did not get Sarah Jane back, we did not get Leela back, but she is the first Earth companion since For, in a while Sarah, yeah since sarah jane yeah yeah and it's uh, i like how they ended up playing that up against nissa and Anderk, and we should talk about nissa too but i i know and later it's certainly a black orchid the, the fish out of water for the aliens versus the earth person able to sort of deal culturally with what's going on was 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 played really well what was um, harry's first episode because i'm i'm trying to figure out is is Tegan Harry? Is Tegan Tom Baker's only introduction to an Earth-based companion? Is it in his entire run? Um, it could be because Harry is actually introduced in Pertwee's last season. He's just not right. a companion until Robot. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so in the whole seven years of Tom Baker, no one from Earth is introduced as a companion except Tegan in the very last Tom Baker story. Oh my goodness. I think you're right. Wild? Isn't that wild? That never happens. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, it also introduces Nissa. Yeah. Not introduces her. Really? Sorry. She's introduced yeah. in the Keeper of Trocken, but mm. they bring her back. Uh I guess because they need some more people in the TARDIS. <laughs> the yeah. thing is uh, even though it's it turns it into a crowded TARDIS, arguably it's a l- few too many kids. It's the Tom and the kids Pretty much. Uh, in this episode. I really think Nissa works, and she works well as a companion. Uh, I don't think she works as well with Davison. I think Tegan's still the best of that era. But um, Nissa is that companion. And I, as I was watching this, it became very clear to me because she's threatened by the master, and is the master is so evil to her he's not just a dick to her he's evil to her specifically like really really rubs salt in the wound of killing her father yeah um he's so bad 
and you 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 really hate him for this and but but it made me think about nissa and her role and i remember joss whedon when he talked about buffy the pilot mm-hmm. that they learned early on to get Allison Hannigan's character Willow in as much trouble as possible because she was so innocent and she was like this person who was so vulnerable that if she was in danger, it would really ramp the stakes up. And I felt like that same thing is at work here with Nissa and Sarah Sutton. Like mm. when, when she's in trouble, when she's being hurt or being uh, the masters like being able to, or you really like start to feel the stakes. And I think, you know, she works really well for the show for that reason and she, she nails does. she nails lines i mean she's very good in this like i thought her when when she has her line about her world being destroyed uh she nails it it's very good i mean the music's good the the, the the shot is good it's really tight on her face and you really just sort of feel the misery that she's mm. going through yeah yeah, I, I I like that. I, I I remember just sort of it being a big part of the dream logic of this story uh, as right. a kid, where you're just like, oh yeah, sure, of course she's on the Goblins as well. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I, I didn't remember uh, knowing at the time that it was a Watcher that's supposed to have brought her there. Uh, but yeah, what what an asshole the Master is for taking over her father's body, giving her a bracelet yeah. uh, that mind controls her, or at least wrist controls her. It's not entirely clear. She doesn't seem to object to the fact that she's strangling Adric at one point. Yeah, that, that's a weird one. I think they would have done it differently today, a lot differently. And like, you know, you you would see her grabbing her own hand and like, I can't stop myself or like trying to pull herself away with her legs. I mean, do, have your legs stopped? Just go to the other side of the room. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, it's definitely not, not one of the master's uh, best thought through schemes, which is kind of the... The, the the master vibe that we get all over here. What do you, what do you think of uh, Anthony Ainley's first full outing as the master here? Does oh, he, I loved um, it. I thought it was good. Well? Yeah. He's definitely like, he he makes a choice and whether it's his choice, JNT's choice, I mean, together they all make a choice. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's his choice because he, having seen some interviews with him, he he delights in the role of them. I actually met him once at a convention yeah. in the eighties. Huh. Um he delights in the role of the master and he he makes a choice to relish it. Like he relishes his evil, which is, is that's the big difference between him and Delgado. Mm. Delgado is kind of more menacing just generally, but he, he, he doesn't twist his mustache literally or figuratively. Now <laughs> Ainley is always doing it. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm so bad. And I love it. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's certainly a little too much of the master cackle. Yes. But you're getting throughout, like he's just kind of randomly in the cloister room, menacing Tegan. He doesn't actually do anything. He's just kind of laughing. He's and just laughing off screen, which would work if you're meant to think that maybe the Watcher is the master, which I think was Bidmead's intention here. Completely right. ignoring the fact that we already know that uh, Nissa's father has become has been taken over by the master if we watch the end of The Keeper of Truck, right? Well, but it, it does he then disguise himself as the watchers mm. you know what i mean like that's okay. kind of like you could, you could argue that but the uh again i, th- I think ainley's great if if you like that sort of thing if, <laughs> if you think that performance and him doing this this way in a different way than delgado um you know you could argue what it's certainly not delgado, delgado and if you love mm-hmm. delgado i could see why you would probably think ainley's kind of like this because he because he's clearly styled after him right he's got the black yeah. almost priest-like outfit he's yeah. got the the goatee 
So he's he's got echoes of that version of the master, uh, but it's a different thing. And I, I think, you know, I really think it works. Um, and he goes all the way with it. And I just love how he's, he's like shaking hands with the doctor and he's like, come in for a hug. You know, it's like, he's just so bad. Like, he's like, because he, <laughs> the doctor's so clearly uncomfortable and hates doing this. And he's like, oh, come on. We're buddies, right? Yeah. And he also has <laughs> this sort of weird, fastidious, prissy thing. Like, he's always kind of brushing off his, his right. velvet top there. Um, yeah, it does. I don't know. Going from uh, Delgado to Ainley, it kind of it's interesting because here we go from Tom Baker to Peter Davison, right? Where right. they were deliberately going for the exact opposite. Like, you cannot follow Tom Baker. Don't even try. But they right. thought that they could follow Delgado by just like, we'll, we'll just lean in and make him a bit more pantomime Yeah, well, it, it wasn't right after. I think that's kind of the difference. So you, mm, you have this yeah. more familiar master character, even though it's it's not the same it, it but it does sort of look superficially the same mm. and then you have this very this doctor is very different so maybe that was the logic but i gotta say like when i would watch when i was watching Legopolis and there's the scenes in episode four though they're running around the compound the pharos project and you see tom baker in his colorful outfit and the master in his black tegan in her purple i mean this is this is what I grew up on. This is like these these images were just so colorful, clear, resonant. I mean, uh, you know, J and T, say what you will about him. Like he you he's coloring a, a vivid picture, literally and figuratively. And um uh, it it works. It worked for me, certainly in this outing. He really was, J and T really was all about the costumes, including his own uh Mr. Hawaiian shirt. Uh, yeah, you know, kind of clearly drawn himself. I mean, as a say character. what you will about it; it's memorable, right? Like totally. you, you, you look at that scarf, the masters, all of this stuff. Mm. Like you, you just, oh yeah, that that that's that's nineteen eighty. That's nineteen eighty Doctor Who. That's Legopolis. It's Castrovalva. It's all the yeah, good stuff. It does. It does definitely speak to a time and a place. What do you think, though? I mean, it's interesting that we were brought here uh, almost directly from uh, the. Um, you know, from, from, well, directly, in fact, from the Mark of the Rani, um, right. you know, with a very late-era Delgado. Uh, what do you Yes, uh, uh, sorry, late-era Ainley. Uh, yeah. Back to the very beginning. How, how did you, did you see a difference? Did you see him evolving at all through his run? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, definitely, you see sort of, it's the young Ainley master here hmm. and he's just been renewed and he's loving every minute of it. He thinks he has the doctor dangling from strings and he's, he's playing him like all that stuff at the end where he's like, Oh yeah, I decided to use the light speed overdrive anyway. And I did all this stuff and uh, here, why don't you connect the wires? Um, <laughs> that's really good and delightful. And then you sort of look at Mark of the Ronnie and you kind of wonder why he came back for it again. I know I think he wondered why he came back for it, uh, it subsequently. Cause it's like, this wasn't, wasn't much of anything. I think yeah. you kind of, um, you sort of almost see like what he's been reduced to as sort of a hanger on of the Ronnie mucking about with history, these smaller stakes. Um, yeah. I, I think if Ainley had been given the opportunity to, to play him more pathetic and that was sort of more the theme of the story, I think that would have been better. Uh, but it just wasn't that complicated. So I did, even though his performance probably is a little more nuanced, he's definitely not 
as over the top, like constantly over the top as he is in Legopolis, um, you, you kind of feel like he's diminished uh, just because he doesn't have as much interesting things to do. So, but yeah. Yeah, I think he, he does uh, feel significantly diminished by the end of his run and just sort of a, a lot tired. Uh, um, he, he looks oddly young here in, in, I guess not very oddly young in Legopolis, but also it's like the Doctor. Like you, you can sort of say that the Doctor's logic is a bit off throughout Legopolis. Yeah. Um, but the Master's logic is a bit off as well with this whole totally. sort of threatening the universe uh, just that he's going to stop or reverse the uh, the CVE, the, yeah. um, the 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 gap that's allowing entropy to escape from the real universe. Like that, that does. How was that going to work? Like it's <laughs> it's yeah. He's, he's really he not seems... clear what is even going on at that stage. Yeah, he seems very drunk with his mm. own power, and they're both they're just both off, right? They're not really mm. thinking that well, and. The master's plot. I mean, if I'm if I'm going with it, mm-hmm. um, is that like <laughs> what's funny? It's, it reminds me of a fanzine. I, there was a fanzine I got a hold of in the '80s where it was criticizing uh, JNT for having too high stakes in every episode, where everything yeah. threatens either the whole universe or the entire space time continuum, or et cetera, et cetera. And it's like that just becomes meaningless after a while. And it made fun of this scene in particular and said, can you imagine some random planet that just hears the master's like warning, like peoples of the universe, please attend carefully. You know, yes. you're gonna, you're gonna submit to me or die. And he's like, Oh my God, like who the hell is this? <laughs> like who yeah, got a hold of the public PA system? Like It's a spam call. Like they, yeah. they, <laughs> they, they check the number and it comes out like scam likely. Um, yeah, because it's implied <laughs> that he's like, he's somehow spraying this message to the whole universe. Um, he and... would have done a lot better being people to the universe, please attend carefully. You may have already won. Uh, <laughs> Publishers Clearinghouse. Uh, but if you go with it, it's like, maybe he is that crazy right like yeah. is it is it a bluff like in other words like okay we're not going to submit to you well everybody dies like if i if i can't have the universe no one can have it and maybe he is that nuts maybe he is the joker and you you at least will get a good chunk of the universe again if if he could actually get some enforcement power um <laughs> uh, to submit to him and i think over time he could right like he he could like okay build up a power base on earth or somewhere of people who are like think he's not bluffing yeah and maybe he isn't and eventually like people submit to him which i i think is kind of how he ends up ruling the earth essentially in sound of drums and stuff like it's not just the Mm talking thing it's just that people are like you know just too frightened that yeah he's he's just so crazy it's it's kind of a trumpian thing right if you you project that crazy for long enough and just say what you want even how outrageous it is maybe you'll you'll get a little bit of it uh by the the end of your evil reign there is one line that's thrown in there that i hadn't remembered and Mm. is is super weird in the context of talking about the doctor and the master the doctor says something like we're we're of the same mind like literally right in many ways we have the same mind in many ways we have the same mind what's that about yeah I, i i always read it as kind of a some some plot voodoo in that how did the master even know to set this trap? Like, in other words, 
bid me needed something to write himself out of that. Cause then how, how would he even know the doctor is going to come to uh, 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 this place and try to fix the chameleon circuit hmm. rather than have some reason, which again, actually I could pick this apart too. Um, why, why does the doctor even go to 1980 to find a police box? Cause it's like, yeah. why, why would you do that? Like they're way more common, you know, 30, 40 and, years before that. Why yeah. Would you go to the fifties or sixties off screen, so, you know, off screen and on screen. Right. Because this was partly inspired by the fact that there was a working uh, police box uh, right. near, near Barnet in the UK. By the time they got there, the production crew got there. It'd been so vandalized. The police had actually taken it down uh and yeah. uh, they, they had to to bring in the old tardis prop to use which i think is hilarious but yeah why why not go back especially like he okay i i will say logopolis does not get enough respect in many oh. ways it it invented the chameleon circuit it was called a camouflage circuit prior to that it was in uh, its one its one outing is uh, the time meddler they call it about it they talk about it being a camouflage circuit is literally not mentioned as a chameleon circuit until the opposite i didn't realize that yeah i thought they said chameleon back in the day wow yeah yeah okay yeah and you know obviously this is we've we've been to attack of the cybermen so we've seen yeah. when he does actually <laughs> fix the chameleon circuit and who knew it was you didn't need to go to legopolis to get this fixed right uh, yeah, but it makes no sense. I mean, it just really makes no sense. Like you, you need to fix the outer shell of the TARDIS, so you're going to measure something that's yeah. kind of close. Yeah, because like not every police box is exactly the same as we know. Not even the TARDIS exterior, in fact, is never exactly the same. Confirmed by twice upon a time. Yes. Um. So, like, what does measuring some random police box somewhere in Britain have to do with anything? Yeah, the, the TARDIS fixing I, the TARDIS. It's so. I weird. honestly think I honestly think Bidmead should have just leaned into all of these things as being deliberate, uh, not deliberate mistakes, but like deliberate examples of just like the the uh, insanity of both the Doctor and the Master as they uh, approach this crucial juncture. You also have to factor in to to really mess with your noodle. The fact that the doctor would not have gone actually gone to Legopolis without the watcher telling him to do so. Mm. So the so does the watcher right. know? I mean, speaking of being of the same mind, like the watcher is literally of the same mind as the doctor. So why does the doctor tell? Uh, why does the watcher tell the doctor to take his master laden TARDIS to the place in the universe where the ma master can cause maximum damage? Right. Uh, and does is the watcher actually responsible for the death of billions? Is the watcher really like war doctor levels of like taking on board all of the sins of the doctor, all of the deaths of the doctor onto his own head? Well, maybe, but maybe it's a more along the well, there's a couple things. One, did he um decide to go to the Logopolis earlier cuz didn't he th didn't that start like he, we we're going to measure it and go to Legopolis, yes. and he just—they don't yeah. go to Legopolis because yeah. they need to flush the master out. And then he's like, "No, you have to go." So, so the idea of going to Legopolis in the first place predates that. But then, Correct. the the Watcher, in my mind, functions a lot like Doctor Strange in Infinity War, mm. where he's essentially okay. I've got to steer events now to the one outcome where. Um, people are saved we they win essentially right? right right so 
at a perhaps million. the watcher yeah. is from also has knowledge of you know how things are going to turn out if in other universes and maybe the master completely just destroys everything or comes to rule the cosmos and there's a he had to get nissa there and every like he's basically seeing the 14 million possible right. futures and he, he he arranges all this stuff to get it to the one where they win yeah he's actually some sort of battle scarred future post master you know uh owning the universe version of the doctor yeah like projecting himself back through time that would be fantastic uh it, it, does it allow was you to fantastic yeah. it happened <laughs> <laughs> it allows for so much headcanon uh, yeah. Which is, you know, I think I think Bitmeet has done himself a disservice by even talking about Legopolis at all over the years. Just let everyone have their own interpretation of this really, really baffling story. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, how did you think that the radio telescope stuff held up? Uh, well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we um, we we did. This this has bookended the the master and the doctor's relationship, uh, and we did of course go go to Terror of the Autons. Oh uh, yeah, which start you know so it starts in the shadow of radio telescope here it ends in the shadow of radio telescope. Um, That's so, true. Yeah, Doctor Love Doctor Who loves its radio telescopes and antennas as as we've observed before. They're they're very useful things for alien races that want to yeah. uh, invade or. Uh, apparently destroy or save the universe or or emulate because apparently uh the uh, logopolans have not heard of built-in random access memory uh they they <laughs> this, this bang up to date bubble memory um basically an early hard drive in in the forest project computers right yeah let's have a good laugh at this okay like the old <laughs> school computer terminology and stuff this is probably the part of Legopolis that has aged the least well um is all the computery stuff and you know bubble memory which i don't know if that was actually a thing but you know the idea of uh something that would be retained in the computer after you shut it off was novel <laughs> wow. at the time. Um, so that's, you know, it's funny. You could have called it flash memory, I guess, but fun. <laughs> uh, and I, I, just this moment, I got to say, I laughed out loud where Anthony Ainley is there and, and he says, so the answer's here. And he's looking at a dot matrix printer. Yes. With, <laughs> like sheets coming out of it. And you're just like, really, is the answer there? In a 1980 printer. <laughs> I love the idea that the doctor is like, like, oh, I've got the bubble memory. Like he's putting the bubble memory back in the Ferris computer and, and they're, they're staying up all night trying to fix this thing. It's like it's preserved the memory of what was last in the memory banks. I would just love it if the master kind of held up a smartphone at that point. Like, duh. <laughs> Downloaded it to my iPhone already. Yeah. We're fine. <laughs> Oh, but yes, yes, Doctor Who. Never never try to be on the cutting edge of computers. This yeah, but I got to say the radio fun. telescope stuff, actually, I think yeah. a good chunk of it hold, uh, holds up. Obviously, oh, yeah. there's the stuff where it's rotating and whatever, where they didn't really show, they weren't able to show it moving. That that sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, yeah. But the, uh, honestly, the, the shots where they're running and it's sort of, it it's, looks like in the background and it's actually really in the foreground, the way they were doing those effects, that's kind of okay. Like you're kind of convinced this might actually be a real thing somewhere yeah. uh, instead of a model, but it was a model. Um, so yeah, 
Yeah, there was something wonderfully dramatic yeah. about radio telescopes turning, uh, which yeah. is, uh, I, I was reminded about this, I was actually watching Contact again last night. Which oh, nice. Wonderful radio telescope scenes and that. Probably and, uh, radio telescopes best uh moment in tv or cinema <laughs> yes for movie. sure for sure you know number one you know contact number two legopolis very very much for <laughs> it's um, a distant second but yeah i liked it. it it kind of it's a wonderful vibe isn't it i think uh especially given that the choice that you could have made to have tom baker's final story be this kind of big jazzy kind of lots of millions of daleks and you yeah. know uh, but no, it's sort of this quiet, sciencey thing that that gets kids very interested. I think in in computers, in math, uh, in telescopes, uh, and, and just sort of reflects the sort of quiet anxiety of the early eighties and the things those telescopes would be looking out for. Um, yeah. Though it is. It is. It does kind of bring it down when Adric has that whole joke of like, "Oh, they should be thrilled to see us." You know, <laughs> is this where what is looking for? It's that's very sub uh, Douglas Adams, right? Right, Who right, right. Loved his radio telescopes. Yeah, that was kind of fine. Um, I um, I thought the you know it's another hole in the master's plan besides just the bluff is that your bluff is contingent on the radio telescope essentially being a gun yeah. that you have. And, you know, if it, one, you just disconnect the cable, as the doctor does, and, okay, you don't have the gun anymore. Right. But even if he wasn't able to do that, say the doctor just dies without doing it, and we could jump ahead to what if the evil plot had succeeded, like, yeah. how is that helping you? Because, like, okay, well, what if the people of Earth just blow up radio telescope now you, you you're once again powerless like you can't do anything it's so easy to fix isn't it and it's so weird that that he what the master is essentially doing is fixing the problem with the universe and yeah. then saying nice universe here same you have shame, here. Some, shame yeah. if someone would to disconnect the thing that i've just connected like yeah. What is this? Uh, you know, again, I, I'm starting to think yeah. he, he, a, a subscription service maybe would have been more lucrative. <laughs> so yeah. your, your first month I of connection it. is free, uh, but after that, people of the universe attend carefully. You must pay a ninety nine a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, it's funny. You need to sort of like go back to the question of like, what even is the entropy field, and how does mm. this all work, and you know, if you think about it, okay, I guess they're saying that, as we all know, the universe will now expand forever, It's been that, which is essentially the heat death of the universe, right. and that it's, you know, everything just gets equalized, and we're all, there's pretty universal scientific consensus, that's the end, but it's trillions of years in the future. Right. And this is trying to convince us, oh, it actually already happened, mm. it, you know, which is, all right, fair enough, maybe it did. And they, the only way they could preserve it is by opening voids to other universes. Thus, we're not a closed system anymore. Again, it's all like on paper kind of makes sense to someone who just picked up their first thermodynamics textbook. Um, <laughs> it's been made probably had. Yeah, but it's like, okay, but then how does this, like, how does entropy then leave our universe and go into another universe? Like there'd have to be some kind of like matter connection there. And if you think about it, doesn't aren't we being jerks to those other universes because now yeah. we're just flooding them with entropy that's right uh, polluting other universes 
the, you know, the EPA is going to be down on us like a ton of bricks. It's really, what are we doing? Leaking entropy. The multiverse EPA with I, Owen I, Wilson as the, the, uh, <laughs> the rep. I love the guys. Uh, you know, you can't be just leaking entropy all over the place anymore. Right? You know, just, <laughs> I love the idea. This is, this is kind of like the, the most boring, nerdiest conspiracy theory ever. <laughs> entropy's already kicked in man we're already in the heat death of the universe we just even uh, don't even know it wake up sheeple <laughs> uh, but anyway I, I think you have to assume like they opened the one cve by earth and you just never hear about this again you think this yeah. would be the most sought after thing by every alien race seeking universal domination but I think you have to assume at some point the Time Lords came in and just sort of made some permanent fix or picked up where the Lugopolitans left off. And I, I love Lugopolitans. I mean, first of all, it sounds like a wonderful <laughs> cocktail. Like, you know, they, they're, they're classy, they're cosmopolitan at the end of an evening. <laughs> After a hard day's oh, reciting man. numbers, you just kick back with the Lugopolitans. We've got to add that to the pull to open menu. Yes. <laughs> First, put fish fingers and custard together. Yeah, and then um, and logopolitan. Oh, have your fish fingers and co custard with a logopolitan. It goes really well. Um, <laughs> By the way, I love that logopolis. Like again, this is sort of like the you could really enter this being crazy and and nothing meaning what it actually says. Uh, logopolis literally means city of words, not numbers, words. Mm. Uh, it's yeah. which you know again we're kind of glad they put it in Greek because it wouldn't look that great after city of death. <laughs> city city of words um doesn't yeah. doesn't quite sound as good um, yeah it just sounds it just sounds kind of cool i mean it's certainly like it's not one of those it's not this is sort of a bid meet era thing right legopolis castrovalva and they're just kind of interesting words and you definitely immediately know which episode that is. It's like, oh, well, Terra the Autons, Terra the, the Zygon invasion or whatever. Like you're, you sometimes have to think it's for a second, like which thing that is. But mm. it's definitely like, I don't know, they're memorable, memorable titles. Yeah. Um, Just to go yeah. back, by the way, to Radio Telescope. Because uh, the, the, the other thing we have to talk about, another weird plot hole in Legopolis, uh, one of a million, uh, is the the security guards at the Pharaoh's Right. Front. First of all, they cluster together in groups of three, apparently. Yeah, not very well trained. They're not very well trained. Uh, but also they seem to somehow figure out how to, how and when and why to hold off from running after these kids. Yeah. And this guy who's just fallen from this thing. Long enough for them to have a sort of a beautiful parting moment. Uh, <laughs> right. While, while the doctor regenerates, security guards are nowhere in sight. And yet they, they do suddenly appear again in the beginning of Castrovalva, right? They, they're running away from them. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like, how, do you really need that much security at a radio telescope? I mean, I guess yeah. it's Doctor Who, right? So it's the Doctor Who universe, and every radio telescope needs a full battalion of security because we know, you know, one false move and you have a nesting consciousness on your hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, they definitely, <laughs> they come and they go. They forget who they're chasing yep. because they see a guy in black and a guy in, uh, uh, you know, a, a maroon uh, scarf yeah. running around. But only the stewardess in the purple uniform comes out. Uh, yeah, so totally it's like, distracts them. Yeah, it's like, I guess they're just, we're, we're so dumb. We, we were chasing three people and now we're talking to three people. So this must be the three people 
we were we were chasing. Uh, I guess that's <laughs> the logic. Actually, AI uh, security guards. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bad, but, bad at hide yeah. and seek those guards. Um, <laughs> yeah, they magically got into with a van or something in Castrovia, as I recall. So yeah, the Pharos project—it's an interesting place. Um, <laughs> they they have uh, cool-looking radio telescopes uh, compatible with bubble memory, Maestro, uh, coffee-drinking late-night workers, and uh, some of the worst security guards in Britain. But you know, there's stiff, stiff competition for that. It was it was the seventies. You know, not not a lot of things were working in the UK. We we had the winter of discontent. You know, uh, well, I guess in 1981 you still had a lot of industrial disputes. Um, yeah. You know, in the Thatcher era. Uh, but yeah. So interesting note. This is the last episode to credit the lead role as Doctor Who. Isn't that interesting? And starting with Castrovalva, they started crediting it as the Doctor, apparently at the request of Peter Davison. I had no idea that it had gone on for that long. Me too. For some reason, I thought they'd switched to the Doctor earlier, but uh, maybe they did for an episode or two. But this this is where they sort of permanently change it, and it stays the Doctor until the new series, actually. So in the new series... It's once again Doctor Who for uh, the first season, for Chris Eggleston's first season, or its only season. And then, w- once again, it's changed to the Doctor for the Christmas Invasion. Uh, and again, apparently at the request of the lead actor. Apparently David yeah. Tennant wanted it that way. Which is kind of funny, because he ended up marrying Peter Davison's daughter. Yes. So this is, there's some weird, it's like, speaking of conspiracy theories. It's it's some weird. I mean, you, you could make a wonderfully nerdy pub quiz question out of this. Like, which which actors were Doctor Who and which actors were the Doctor? Ah, right? yeah. And it would be uh, you know Hartnell, Troughton, Pertwee, Baker, and Eccleston were all credited as Doctor Who. Right. Wow, that's a great that's a great trivia question. Right. And actually, so I had to steal that Doctor Who magazine. Davison's the first one and only one, I believe, to be credited as both. Right, because he was credited as Doctor Who here. Yes. And it is, it is the first time they credit the incoming Doctor, because yeah. previously it had always been uncredited or just didn't appear on screen in the case of uh, Pertwee. He never appeared right. until Spirit from Space. And because of Caves and Andrasani, uh, Baker comes first. Uh, the, the Baker comes first in that <laughs> as well. So Peter Davison, again, never gets any respect. He just kind of, he's the second billing. Both times, uh, there are two doctors on screen. He's just well. I guess. I guess in the five doctors, he gets credited first. I sure. Think. But uh, but this does kind of bring us back to um, you know something that Moffat has sort of sort of insisted and made use of in in World Enough and Time is this notion that the the, the character's actual name is Doctor Who, right? Right. Um, and uh, you know, you kind of laugh. As a Doctor Who fan, you kind of laugh dismissively at that. But given how much he was in the credits as Doctor Who for the vast majority of the show, uh, yeah, you know, there's more credit to that theory. There's a weird, you know, it's it's almost like a crest and trough thing in terms of making a, a big deal about the name of the show vis-a-vis the lead character. Yeah. And in the old series, it manifests merely as jokes. Like you have like that terrible joke in the Five Doctors where it's like. That's who's that? The Doctor. Who? And then they, in the new series, they've obviously, again, crests and troughs. Because I remember very distinctly in the first season with Eggleston, 
um, Rose asks him, I think this is in one of the either World War Three or, or the one preceding that um, was like, you don't even tell me your name. You're the doctor, Doctor Who is like, mm. you know, 900 years. I've gotten by pretty well. You know, like he basically just doesn't give the who thing any credence. It seems like they're going for very straight. He's the doctor, even mm. though he's credited as the doc as Doctor Who. But then they had to do the whole storyline, right? With like, this is the oldest question in the universe and all this stuff. And like, oh, they're actually doing a little something with it. And I, I feel like I, 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 I'm fine at being a trough now. Mm. <laughs> like he's mm -hmm. just, he or she is just the doctor. And let's, you know, the enigmatic part of it. Let's not, let's not talk too much about that. I mean, not, not, not literally make too much about it. Right. Um, I, I I guess in JNT he just liked the question mark lapels, which <laughs> was a was a thing in this period. Which I it gotta was. confess, as a kid, for some reason I liked. I don't know why. I think it's because it's so costumey, and it's like it's almost like the Doctor's a superhero. Yeah, yeah. I think that's you know the the, the randomizer uh, could also be said to have brought us here because it's such a TARDIS rich story it's uh more tardis rich than than anything we've found so far uh the randomizer knows that i love tardis stories and uh so Don't we all yeah um so yeah, yeah i i'm <laughs> i i'm gonna cry once we use the randomizer again i'm gonna cry uncle like no more <laughs> no more uh excessive tardis stories please uh yeah, I think yeah let's get one of those yeah. first doctor adventures where it just gets them there yeah exactly. and then they leave it yeah I guess I was second doctor a lot too, yeah. but yeah, good plan. But, uh, yeah. but what if the evil plot had succeeded here? Like it seems pretty straightforward. The universe is gone. Mm. <laughs> End of show. Much. Roll credits. Done. Yes, and the credits start to dismantle. Um, yeah, as as entropy kicks in. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. I, I guess if the evil plot of the Masters has uh, succeeds, but again, you know, we've we've discussed the problem with that—that that he's already reconnected the universe before threatening yeah. disconnected. Yeah, the only way it succeeds is if, say, the Doctor doesn't get to the cable, he falls. He still regenerates, mm. um, and so they just blow up the radio telescope by some other means. And then, yeah, th this was never going to succeed. Come on, come on, master. <laughs> oh, what do you? This it's just think it through. Give okay? us a real challenge. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, he's just getting warmed right. up. So here's one I I'm not quite sure of, but maybe mm -hmm. you you've zeroed in on something that works. Where is the Clara Splinter here? Oh my God, I feel like she has to be everywhere. Uh, you know, first of all, she's uh, organizing on Legopolis because, of, as Tegan tells us, Legopolis is basically a sweatshop. Right. Um, so she's, I think she's organizing to prevent any uh, Legopolis unions from from uh, being formed here. She's throwing a spanner in the works because uh, that, that just wouldn't work for, for our plot purposes uh, if they do sort of uh, realize that they're living in sweatshop conditions. Um, no, that's well, so. There's that. She's distracting the security guards at the Ferris Project long enough that they forget who they're chasing. Uh, yeah, she, maybe she's in charge of their training. <laughs> I mean, she may even be the Watcher herself. We haven't really considered that theory. I thought about that. Yeah. It could be. Maybe that's like her thing here. Maybe like a lot of Clara's splinter energy was concentrated on Legopolis. 
to ensure this outcome, right? Yeah. Um, well, she's certainly at the very like least she's she's telling Nissa what the Watcher's name is. Uh, <laughs> just just call me the Watcher. Right, right. She says so she vanishes in white. It's either that, it's either like this is the highest stakes Clara Splinter who's actually on screen in the old series, or it's so mundane she's like literally the the girlfriend of the guy who's at the Pharos project listening to music and she just gave him a Walkman for his birthday. (laughs) So that he would be so distracted and the master wouldn't kill him kill him right off the bat. Um, so maybe Ooh, that was it. You know what else there is? Someone has to close the TARDIS doors to lock Tegan into the TARDIS the first time she goes in. That right. is never revealed or figured out who that is. Uh, and a lot of people said, well, maybe that's the Watcher. Maybe it's Clara. <laughs> I'd love to. The, the, the shot outside, slam. Yeah. And you just see fingers like turn the key, zoom out. It's Clara. Love it. She's right there, guys. Boom. <laughs> Clara's all about the TARDIS keys. We do know that. All right. Final judgment. Is this a Dalek, an Ogron, or a Viscount Banger? What do you say? I, I got a, you know, again, I, I said I have no chill where Legopolis is concerned. I think it's a Viscount Banger. Wow. Look I think at you. For all its mistakes, and there are many, uh, for all the weird, the plot weirdness, I think I think you just totally lean into that. You lean into the nightmare logic. You lean into the wonderful scenes. You lean into the fact that this this creates so much of the Who legend, like the Chameleon Circuit, and exactly how how it's supposed to function on the exterior of the TARDIS, and the fact that the TARDIS has wonderful computer graphics uh, to show how it's going to turn into a pyramid. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's it, a Viscount banger, not only because, you know, Tom Baker did during the course of uh, Legopolis get married to the daughter of Viscount banger. Uh, <laughs> long-time listeners will know this yep. is why Viscount banger is the very top of our rating system, because uh, that is the name of Lala Ward's aristocratic father. I have to go with you on this one. I was going to say like super awesome Dalek because uh, it isn't a perfect story, but you know what? I just love talking about it. I yeah. love thinking about it. It's there's so much to like about this story. It is a and mood. I can, it is a hashtag It really holds mood. up. I, and I can watch it again and again and again. This is a Viscount banger, guys. Like go like, I hope we've inspired some people to go back and watch Legopolis again because man, it really holds up. Mm. It is super fun. And, and super I, uh, good for so many reasons. I don't think we've talked enough about the music. We've mentioned it. We've mentioned yeah. Patty Kingsland's music in the past. It's funereal. It's wonderful. But the best thing it does is it spends the entire story in this sort of dark, somber, minor key mood until yeah. the last three seconds where we get the three Doctor Who notes. Yeah. As Davison's face appears. And it's such a moment of like rejuvenation it's like doctor who is back um yeah. love that it's it's, it's hard like, to not get a shiver down the spine it's like that moment alone we didn't really talk much about that moment exactly like the the watcher merging mm. into tom baker and it's actually for the time it's really well done they were very careful about the, the head placement of course it's not perfect it was done in 1980 but it is like that you could tell that the care they were giving even then and he's just kind of there and you get smiling Peter Davison right on the musical cue is perfect. Yes. With those notes. And he just sits up and you're like, not only do you get the perfect cue, you get that. Like I have to wait until September, you know, like you want it. Like it's such a moment. Like you've got to go right into Castro Valva. 
Like, yes. and they do, they, they, they pick up right on that moment. So it does pay off, but it is like, I can't imagine as a kid watching that and having to wait months and months to see what happens. Cause Literally. wow. Cause that's, yeah, I, I did. We did in the UK. It was screened in February 81. And, and then uh, Davison's run did not start on TV until 1982. Oh my God. So yeah, I mean, Dude. we had that repeat that it's like Game of Thrones about. level. <laughs> we talked about the five faces of Doctor Who repeat that was sort of uh, famous among Doctor Who fans in the UK because it was the first time we actually got repeats. Uh, but they repeated Legopolis at the end of that, and there was such a desire for it, it actually got better ratings the second time around. Uh, yeah, I bet pretty poor ratings on the first uh, outing, like less than. Uh, I think just 7.1 million people watched that regeneration episode. Which is not 6.1. It was lower, yeah, which yeah, again, yeah. by today's standards is huge, yeah. but it also like for then it was like, you know, not even close to the uh, mm. best episode, highest rated, which I think we talked about was like the crotons or something. It was crazy. Yeah. It was like yeah. 11 million people. Um, absolutely. Absolutely insane. But yeah, it, it is a, for, for that sequence of the watcher turning into Peter Davison, it is a little too obvious that it's Davison. Like you, you, I know they probably just couldn't persuade Tom Baker to sit with makeup in that position for, for too long, like to have more of a transition. But it's like, oh, it becomes fairly yeah, yeah, obvious. Yeah. Well, as soon as you see the art, it's like, that's clearly David. Oh, but that, I think that was fine. You, you just kind of, you didn't get a Tom Baker transition moment. I see what right. you mean. Yeah, I think it was okay because uh, he, he, I guess if you really sequenced it out now, you would you would have done baker uh to mushy baker to watcher <laughs> to to mushy um davison to exactly. davison so exactly. they were missing one of those phases um so yeah because i think i think the natural you naturally have a have a watcher to mushy davison to davison right mm. like that that makes sense to me it's just you don't have the other side of it yeah i've never saw that as much of a flaw i guess because baker you know he's already he's already out you don't want him to go out as a mushy you don't want his last, uh, the last moment of Tom Baker to be mushy Tom Baker. That's true. Uh, That's yeah. true. Sort of like you don't want the last of Matt Smith to be old Matt Smith. That's why they had the, the right. reset button where he becomes totally. young, young Matt Smith again. Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, mushy Baker and uh, mistakes <laughs> and the Watcher, we, we've been teasing the fact that our very own pulls are open Watcher is standing off screen and pointing he is pointing at the codex because uh, we've gotten to that time guys it's time to activate the randomizer but yes. someone uh has uh pointed out uh i'll find out uh, exactly who yeah um well first of all yeah. I, I will say it's interesting that um there is we mentioned it briefly the clip show in legopolis where it's you know oh, yeah. you get different villains saying doctor and then yep. different uh, all of tom baker's companions going doctor which reminds me of i, I once did a poll on twitter where the two questions you know the question was are you evil um test whether you're evil but how do you say the following word do you do you say doctor or do you say doctor <laughs> um and that is never better illustrated than in this clip show anyway the dalek that we see in the clips is from uh destiny of the daleks which also holds a special place in my heart because it was the the first tom baker serial that i watched live legopolis being the last one mm. um so that's kind of appropriate for that reason and it's appropriate for another reason 
It turns out, everyone, that the watcher, who in this case is one of our Twitter followers uh, with the handle uh, Rim Nim Rim, but also the, the name M. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank M. I'm just going to call them M from now on. M, thank you for pointing out that Destiny of the Daleks is actually missing from the Codex. It is a fundamental flaw in the universe that uh, we're, we're going to have to deal with now, that mm -hmm. uh, we, we have a discontinuity in our Codex. We skip right over Destiny of the Daleks, go right from the Armageddon Factor um, but... to... Uh, City of Death. Yep. So Oops. we're going to have to do something about this. Chris, what is our solution? Well, it is the end of the Codex as we knew it, but the moment has been prepared for because it turns <laughs> out that our Watcher is Destiny of the Daleks. And I'd like you to imagine now that we have a larger special effects budget than we actually do here <laughs> on Pull to Open and that Destiny of the Daleks is now merging with our, with our spreadsheet and uh, going in there, Peter, are you putting it into the codex as we as we speak? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, you guys, you guys hummed. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and here we go. Insert one row below. <laughs> Oop. I did it on Power of Crawl. Sorry, one second. One Oops, row below. No. Oh my God! Some logopolitan has uh, said the wrong number in some alleyway somewhere. And uh, all right, it is now added. Yes. And. Um, I think we're going to have to do some renumbering. We are. And unlike when the <laughs> War Doctor was revealed in the show as a gap that uh, we didn't account for before, did not lead to a renumbering, um, at least as far as we know, not yet. Yeah, um, an official one anyway. <clears throat> we are going to do an official renumbering of the Codex. And while that's going to change uh, some of the numbering, obviously everything we've already done will still be time-locked. And we'll probably have some correcting to do over the next few months on some of our posted episodes. Um, so 103 in the Codex will now be Destiny of the Daleks. Uh, and everything else will uh, shift one prior one. to that yeah, will stay the same. Yeah. So... Legend of the Sea Devils is now 301. Yes. So if we're all uh, saying that, that, uh, that the Codex has now uh, gone into the 300s, uh, well, it, it turned out that it had been there all along. But thank you. <laughs> thank you to uh, our alert listeners uh, pointed that out. And we, we have fixed thank it. Thank you, M. Thank you, M. And um, we uh, we will go forward with a with a uh, in all our beliefs, <laughs> and prove to you that we are not mistaken in ours as exactly. we we go through a more complete random journey. Uh, but this is exciting. All all of the yeah. all of the time lock numbers have shifted. Like we we don't know where we're going now. It's, yeah, it's uh, it's very very Hoovian. In, exactly, in, in, but yeah, it is time. Right. We can, we cannot delay the moment any longer. We have to activate our new randomizer. Well, new our, our repaired randomizer. <laughs> now that has the complete codex. Yes. So every single Doctor Who story from an unearthly child all the way to Legend of the Sea Devils, all three hundred and one stories by our numbering are now in the codex, mm -hmm. and we're going to have to pick one through the other part of the randomizer, the executor. Uh, which of course is played by random.org and Chris is manning the controls of. Are you ready, Chris? That's right. I am ready. And just in case you didn't know, uh, random.org is a website that uses actual atmospheric noise 
presumably via a radio telescope, uh, bouncing around the atmosphere. Um, and it is, uh, it is picking up not entropy, but uh, actual atoms bouncing around. And that's how it generates a random number, because computers, even ones with bumble memory, uh, are really kind of rubbish <laughs> at creating random numbers. Even the smartphone in your pocket doesn't do it very well. So that's how we do it. I come up with a number between 1 and 301. Uh, with our newer FATA codex, Pete is looking at the codex. That's uh, right. When uh, when you tell me to to take off, uh, we will hit well, the generate button. I'm going to challenge the codex, yes. and I'm just going to say it. Take us to Destiny of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> I do was, it. I was thinking on. the same thing. Let's get get this out of the way. Let's do it. Like get Boom. A, not Done. just the actual problem, but also all of my childhood nostalgia out of the way in one go. Um, I'm I'm going to I'm going to renew my challenge of uh, uh-huh. let's please get out of this e-space of classic who let's let's go go back to get new back to new who back, i'm missing it. it man all right yep, so me too all right when oh we, wait i gotta give you a countdown yeah, give me a countdown sorry here it is <laughs> in four three two one affirmative 65 it's not listening it's not listening to you at all we are at Carnival of Monsters. Oh my god. Boom. Do you know the connection already? Um, you already know why the randomizer is bringing us here? Yes. Carnival of Monsters was Quick in show. was in the five faces of Doctor Who. Oh wow. Uh, the repeat, it was the one that represented Pertwee. And we were just talking about Harry, but he's not Harry in this. It is Ian Martyr does play is in this episode though. Ah. So that's another one. Wow. Yeah, so it turns speaking out speaking of clip shows, there's there's a clip or two in this one. Interesting. So anyway, bam, oh, yeah. the connection's already starting. Yeah. But they that is are totally not random. They are definitely not gonna end until we get to it. Guys, we're gonna be talking all about Carnival of Monsters next week. But in the meantime, this is the end of our commentary around Logopolis. Thank you very much for listening. This is a podcast, everyone. It's pull to open. It's on every podcast service that you like. We're on all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but almost all of them. And even uh, a few you don't. Maybe a few you don't. And But you've got many, many, many different choices to subscribe. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to Google Podcasts. You can go to something called reason.fm. Uh, if you have not subscribed yet, please do. Please tell your friends about it. And uh, please leave a review on whatever platform that allows for a review. Apple Podcasts in particular loves the reviews, and we love it when people leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, so go ahead and leave a review there. Follow us on social media. We're super active on TikTok at Pull2Open. We're also at Twitter and Instagram at Pull2Open63. It's going to be a barrel of laughs next time because we're going to a carnival of monsters. It's going to be so great. Bring the kids. Hey. You know, do do all those other circusy things you do. Roll up, roll up, roll up. Come on back. Yes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.